And so tonight with Acts chapter 7, verses 17 all the way through 36, and I'm going to read them all. I'm not going to preach every single one of them like I normally do because that would take forever. But we're going to continue and pick up with Stephen has been brought in by the Freedman's Synagogue. He's standing before a Sanhedrin. And you guys have to understand, the Sanhedrin are the same group of guys who crucified Jesus, right? You get that, right? And so it's not good news when people who were responsible for the death of your leader are bringing you in. And so they, they accuse him and they, they, they make these accusations. And we talked about them before I went to Guatemala. Um, several, like I think it was maybe the end of May. Because June was just so crazy. I only preached once in June, and that was right before we left for Guatemala. But so they 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 lay four accusations on Stephen. Okay? They accuse him of blasphemy against God. And we talked about that. We talked about how, you know, he's like, okay, you think I, I'm speaking incorrectly about God, and then he gives them this beautiful history lesson about all God has done. And, and, and he just kind of lays it clear that if anybody is found you know, working against God, it's, it's the Sanhedrin okay, for what they did to Christ. So he dealt with that a while ago. Okay? We, we talked about that. And then what we're going to talk about tonight is they accused him of blasphemy against Moses. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about talking bad about Moses? Moses is just a guy. Not to the Israelites. Not to Israel. Okay? Moses is like in the top, you know, three or four guys in their history. Okay? Um, Moses was the lawgiver. Moses was the man who brought them out of Egypt. Moses was a big, big deal. And so to blaspheme against Moses is, it's serious. And then they accused him of blaspheming against the law and then blaspheming against the temple. And we're going to talk about those in the next couple weeks. But tonight we're going to talk about Stephen's response to the accusation that he has blasphemed against Moses. That he has, he has spoken lies and, and he has slandered Moses' uh, legacy and, 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 and the tradition surrounding Moses' life. And so what we talked about a few weeks ago... How does Stephen respond? And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a blueprint for how we should respond when people are falsely accusing us because of our faith. Okay? The first thing we see him doing is that he keeps their attention. If you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, you've got to keep their attention. If you're trying to, to win someone over in a debate or try to get them to see how they might be wrong about their perception of you, then you've got to do it in a way that's going to grab their attention and so that they don't just write you off all at once. Okay, You can't just go in and barge in and yell and scream. like That'll keep people's attention, but they're not going to listen to it. So that's not what Stephen does. Stephen keeps their attention by telling their story. You're going to see it here. He told their story with the accusation about blaspheming God. He's going to tell their story. He's going to put it on them. He's going to say, this is, this is your history. This is our history. Because remember, Stephen's a Jew. This is where we were. This is how we came out of it. This is what Moses did for us. And this is what we did to Moses. So there, he's, going to, he's going to defend himself or defend his, his faith 
in a way that's going to keep their attention. He's not going to yell. He's not going to scream. He's not going to pound his fist and demand justice. He's just simply going to have a conversation with them. The second thing he's going to do is you're going to see that he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't go on the defensive and, and like I said, demand that, that, that they change their opinions about him. You see that whenever the, the, uh, the first Christians were persecuted and they were accused of things, they, they saw it as an attack on Christ, not an attack on them. In fact, whenever you see um, Paul or Saul at the time, he's on the road to Damascus. What does Jesus, whenever Jesus appears to him in a flashing light, what does Jesus say to him? He says, he says Saul. And he, Saul says, yes, Lord, you know, what is it? Who are you? And Jesus says, I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the one you're... Not, not hey, you're persecuting my church. Or, hey, you're persecuting my people. No, see, I talked about this before we left for Guatemala. Is Jesus takes it personally when His church is persecuted. And so, you have uh, Stephen in this text. He's not going to defend himself. He's going to defend Christ. He's going to defend the faith. He's going to defend truth. So that's how we should also respond to accusations and, and slander and persecution. And then we see here, there's a third thing that he does. Okay, A third thing that he does, and this is kind of risky, and this is actually what ends up getting him stoned, but um, he viewed it as worth it as just another attempt to help these guys see the truth. He is going to indict them of their sin. He's going to give them their own reality for what it, what it, what it is. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to say, this is, is you know, he, he's going to tell them their story. He's going to, to uh, defend the Christian faith. And then what he's going to do is he's going to indict them of their sin, not to leave them there, not to leave them hopeless and feeling bad about themselves. But then he's going, the last thing he's going to do is he's going to present Christ. And that's going to be really neat because what we're going to do is we're going to look back at Moses tonight after I read this text. And we're going to look into the life of Moses and I'm going to show you how Stephen would have been communicating to this Jewish audience who Christ was and what he offers to them. So let's look at the text here. Acts 17, starting in verse, or I'm sorry, Acts 7, starting in verse 17. The Bible says, as the time was drawing near, this is Stephen talking, okay? As the time was drawing near to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them leave their infants outside so that they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home three months, and when he, left, when he was left outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and action. 
As he was approaching the age of 40, he decided to visit his brothers, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his brothers would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day, he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But one of the ones, or but the one who was mistreating his neighbor, pushed him away, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptians yesterday? At this disclosure, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he fathered two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he, as he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Remove the sandals on your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have observed the oppression of my people in Egypt, I have heard their groanings and have come down to rescue them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, and they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a redeemer by means of an angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. And then we're going to go ahead and read 37. Um, this is what it says. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet, a prophet like me among your brothers. So how does he keep their attention? He tells their story, right? He tells their story. How does he defend? Or what does he defend? He's defending truth. He's defending the Christian faith. He's defending his faith in Jesus and why he's faithful to Jesus. And then what's the indictment? Remember several weeks ago we talked about this. This is a little bit later in the chapter. This is the indictment. Verses 51 and uh, through 53, after all that he says, all of his, his uh, response to these accusations, this is what he says. He says, You stiff-necked people with uncir uncircumcised hearts and ears, you were always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. That's a pretty hefty, hefty charge. Okay, He's saying to those who killed Jesus, you killed God's righteous one. You killed our Messiah. Way to go, guys. And you're calling me the blasphemer? You're saying that I'm the blasphemer? But see, after the indictment, or in the indictment, he's presented Christ all throughout this. And let me show you how he's presented uh, Christ. How he presents the gospel through the life of Moses. Okay? Listen to this. 
when Moses was born, okay, he's going to be drawing all these parallels. You remember we talked about Joseph last time and how Joseph had all these parallels with the, with the story of Christ, story of Jesus. Listen to this. These are really kind of uncanny in their similarities. When Moses was born, the Israelites were suffering extreme oppression under Egyptian rule. Who were the Israelites under when Jesus was born? Anybody? Who, were, who occupied Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth? What nation? Rome. 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 Okay? At the time of Moses' birth, the Pharaoh in Egypt had put out an order to have all the newborn male children killed. Sound familiar? At the time of Jesus' birth, Herod had put out an order that all male children under the age of two years old be put to death. Pretty similar, huh? Listen to this. To escape Pharaoh's edict, Moses' mother placed him in a basket and sent him down the river where he was rescued by none other than Pharaoh's daughter in Egypt. Where did Mary and Joseph take Jesus to escape from Herod's order to kill all the, new, the, 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 the male children? Where did they go? Starts with an E and ends with Gypt. Egypt. They went to Egypt. Boom. You see the similarities? You see how he's, he's building up to presenting Christ in his discourse with these guys? He's saying, he's saying you want to talk about truth? You want to talk about important people? You want to talk about, about blasphemy? Let me tell you this. Moses was our redeemer. Moses was our rescuer. Moses was... Was, was the one who brought us out from under the oppression of the Egyptians. But he, what he's saying here in, in, in verses 51 through 53 is he's bringing in Christ. He's saying you, you hold Moses so highly because 450 years ago, or however long it was, you, you, you had, you had this, this prophet who brought the people out of Egypt. And you didn't even recognize that God sent another one. He sent a perfect Moses. He sent a new Moses to fulfill the law. He sent a new Moses to bring redemption to all people out from under the oppression of slavery to sin. And you didn't recognize it. You want to talk about blasphemy. How blasphemous is it to look at the Messiah that God has sent you and to put Him on a cross? Moses was set apart to be God's man to deliver the Israelites out of the Egyptians' oppression into the promised land. God wants, wanted to use Moses to save his chosen people. Jesus was sent to earth for no other reason than to deliver humanity from the oppression of sin and death. God's desire was to use Jesus to reestablish the nation of Israel as God's beloved people. You remember back in the Old Testament, God said to, to Israel, through you all nations will be blessed. Despite countless miracles and incredible experiences, the people of Israel reject Moses and ultimately decide to forsake the God of their salvation to worship their own gods made of gold and wood. You remember that? 
Moses is up, you know, doing business with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. God's, you know, revealing to him the law, the, the ten simple rules that all humanity should follow. Moses is taking a little bit too long. The Israelites start to grumble and they go to Moses' cousin Aaron and they're like, Hey, hey, you need to make a God for us because this guy Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. He's taken way too long and, 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 and it'd be better if we were back in Egypt. You know, at least in Egypt we had food and shelter and, 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 and you need to make a God for us so that we can serve another God. So Aaron takes some gold, he melts it down, molds a calf and M Moses comes down to find that the people that he has delivered and brought out of Egypt have gone back to worshiping idols instead of giving glory to the God who rescued them from slavery. Jesus also performed many miracles, and the people of Israel saw firsthand that Jesus was able to do things that no other human could do, yet they still rejected him and continued to serve their laws and their traditions. They rejected the one God sent to go back to what they had always done instead of seeing the new thing that God was doing before them. So do you see how, how the story of Moses is about Jesus? Now, everything that happened to Moses in the Old Testament is fact. Historical fact, it did happen. But there's a bigger story than just the history there. There's a saving history in that. There, there's, there's an element of Moses' story that points us forward to the coming Christ in the New Testament, right? Do you see that? But see, a lot of times what we do is we mess up the interpretation. And that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. I want, I, want to, I want to help you see that when you're reading the story of Moses or Joseph or David or, or whoever... You need to make sure, as the Sanhedrin would have realized, that Stephen was, was saying, Moses represents Christ. Okay? You need to see tonight that Moses represents Christ. Not you. And not me. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. A lot of times we read Old Testament stories and we come to the conclusion that the heroes of the Bible are teaching metaphors of how we should have more faith or how we should be bolder or how we can overcome some challenge in our lives. Right? We've done that. We've done that. The, the best example is David and Goliath, right? You've got, you've got Goliath, this immovable force, this... this literal, you know, giant of a man who's, who's probably slain hundreds of men in battle. And you have all of Israel, even including the king, they're just cowering. They're, they're fearful. They, they're at the end of themselves. They're, they're saying, you know, there's no guarantee that, that, that any number of us could take down Goliath. And he's calling us out one-on-one, -on -one, man to man. What, we don't know what to do. There's no way we could defeat Goliath. And then you have David come in and we automatically think, oh, well, David's about us. 
David is the story of us stepping up to the challenge and having faith. And David is the story of us, you know, believing in God whenever God says, you know, do the impossible. The problem is this. If you assume that the story of David is, and Goliath is about you and whatever circumstance you're going on, Goliath is the circumstance, you're David. And you get it stuck in your head that if I just have enough faith in God and I just, I just stand boldly and I, I, I move in to, 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 to fight the battle, what happens when your stone misses? What happens when the giant doesn't fall down? What happens when all five stones that you throw at it miss and fail to change that circumstance? Because that happens, doesn't it? Right? People get cancer and they die. If we, if we get it stuck in our heads, well, cancer is Goliath. And I'm David. And I've got cancer. All i got to just have more faith in Jesus and just keep throwing my stones at it and this cancer is finally going to go away. It doesn't happen like that all the time. So what's the bigger story? It's this. We're Israel. We're the ones cowering in the corner. We're the ones afraid and weak and lost. And Jesus is David. As He stands in our place. As Goliath is calling us out, Jesus stands in our place and He says, No, not them. You deal with me. And Goliath Goliath is not our cancer. Goliath is not our relationship problems. Goliath is not our unemployment. Goliath is sin and death and hell and the grave. And Jesus stands in the midst of this battle and He says, you've got to go through Me first. And by the way, it's only going to take Me one stone. And it's Jesus who conquers death. It's Jesus who conquers sin. It's Jesus who gives us the victory over the grave. And it is us who are rescued, not the ones doing the rescuing. See how that's much more beautiful? <laughs> See how it points much more to Jesus than what, what we think sometimes when we read these stories? But let's look at Moses. The Israelites had escaped Egypt, but Pharaoh and his army are in hot pursuit. Moses has led the Israelites into what seems like a perilous situation. In front of them, they have the Red Sea, an impassable body of water. They didn't bring their canoes, they don't have floaties or life jackets. They fled. From, from Egypt. And behind them, in a dust of cloud, coming over the horizon, is the full force of the Egyptian army. Bearing down on them. So you have a metaphorical rock in a hard place. And you have us standing there with no options but to die. If we charge into the sea, we'll be overtaken, we'll drown. No one's getting out of it alive. If we stay where we are, 
that roaring thunderous company of soldiers on chariots armed to the, to, to the max will, will strike us down if we're lucky. They may take us back and continue to torture us and terrorize us and oppress us in slavery. So what do we do? We look to our rescuer. Moses. He knows what he has to do. Moses stands on the edge of the sea. And what does he do? The Bible says he, he didn't hit the staff. No, he didn't. He opens his arms. He outstretched his arms. And what happened? The impossible became possible. He outstretched his arms. And the impassable became passable. Death became life and hope. The end became a future. He made a way through an ocean. You see how Moses is about Jesus? You see how we're Israel? You see how Stephen is trying to get the Sanhedrin to realize that there is a greater one than Moses who has come and he outstretched his arms for them and for you? And He made possible the impossible. He made passable the impassable. He spread open His arms on a cross and He was nailed to a tree for your sins, for my sins, for their sins, so that when we believe and put our faith and trust in Him and enter in to salvation, we can be saved from the enemy that is chasing us down. Notice I had to say you have to enter in. Guys, salvation in Jesus Christ is not complicated, but I'm not going to tell you it's easy either. The New Testament says that all who want to follow Christ are going to suffer. It means that you have to put Christ ahead of popularity. It means you have to put Christ ahead of boyfriends and girlfriends. It means you have to put Christ ahead of your your job and your financial safety. It means that you have to put Christ ahead of your family who won't understand this change that has happened in your life. There are decisions that have to be made. There is a cost that has to be counted for those who wish to follow Jesus. But I'm telling you, He has made a way for you to escape death at the hand of the enemy. He has made a way through your impossible circumstance to redemption. And when you're on the other side, when you decide to walk through that sea, that way that Jesus has made for us through His blood, when you're standing on the other side, guess what happens? 
the water closes in on your enemy and you are safe. You have victory. You have freedom. You do not fear. Because your rescuer not only made a way for you to get into salvation, He has closed the door on sin. He has closed the door on death. He has closed the door on your enemy forever and evermore. Amen. Do you see the beauty of the gospel in the life of Moses? Do you see it? Stephen is about to be stoned. I mean... They saw Jesus. They heard Him teach. They were there at the miracles. They saw Him die. They can't explain His resurrection. They don't know where He is. And they still haven't stopped. See, the Pharisees, the Pharise- it's almost like they're standing at that experience with Moses and Moses has outstretched his arms and everybody's going through. I mean, tens of thousands of people are going through to salvation through Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are, are like what you would think of guys who are like, they're looking at the, the, the sea and it's parted and everybody's going through and they're like, hmm... No, never mind. No thanks. We'll stay here. We'll figure out a different way to get away from the enemy. That's crazy, right? Like we look at them and we think, that's crazy. What would have happened if some of the Israelites at the Red Sea would have said, no thanks Moses. I think we're going to figure it out some other way. What would have happened? They would have been crushed by the enemy, wouldn't they? They would have been hopeless. They might have said, well, we're going to go around. (laughs) We're going to go around the Red Sea. They would have died before they got there. Of thirst, of hunger, of, you know, uh, being killed by an animal or caught by the Egyptians most likely. There's no other way. It's death or life. And there is only one way from death to life. And it's through Jesus. It was through the Red Sea. There was no other way. And Stephen is trying to get these guys to see this. See, it's not about him. He's not trying to defend himself. He's trying to save these guys' souls with the gospel. Guys, tonight, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't walked through that salvation, if you haven't entered into this life of following Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. We're going to have a time of response after we pray. And it'll be a time for you to come and talk to me and just say, Hey, you know, I'm standing on the shore. And and I don't know why, but so far I haven't walked through the sea yet. I'm just stuck there. Hey guys, you can receive Christ tonight. You can commit your life to following Jesus tonight. What is the holdup? Why are you waiting? What are you waiting? Are you waiting so that you can be better first? It's not going to work. Are you waiting until you don't feel so bad about yourself? It's not going to work. There's no reason to wait to give your life to Christ.
And I invite you to do that. Jesus is inviting you to do that tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you just for the beauty of this story. God, and how it is so relevant to us and where we are in life. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in people's lives tonight. And if we have anyone here tonight who does not know Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to respond in faith to the call of salvation. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.